change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Uh, Mike, how's it been, buddy? It's been, I can't believe this, four months, over four months since you and I sat down and recorded a podcast. Obviously, a lot of things have happened in the interceding four months regards to the CFL. Uh, we had plans to do shows throughout the summer. And if I'm being honest, when they shut down the season, I kind of just, I, I kind of got in a funk a little bit. And I was... I was bummed out about it, and then Labor Day comes, and I was really bummed out about it. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of got into, you know, the NFL season kicks off, college football kicked off, kind of got into that. And we just kind of put this, I guess, on the back burner and, and took a little break, which I think was good. It was, it's nice to kind of recharge the batteries. I didn't expect it to be four months between you and I sitting down to do this. But uh, I don't know, man. What have you been up to? How, you, how did you feel when, when kind of everything went down late in the summer and we found out there'd be no CFL ball in 2020? Well, I was pretty sad about the whole the whole thing, but um, you know, I kind of expected it. It was coming, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. So, yeah, I was I was down, and uh, I was upset that I wasn't going to be able to watch CFL football when they announced it. But as you said, uh, it didn't really hit me until about Labor Day, and then it really hit me when the weather started to turn a little bit colder, and you know, you, you get that feeling in the air of playoff football, and you realize that there wasn't isn't going to be any playoff football this year. So that, uh, that really sucked. So, but I was in the same boat as you, man. I was, I was disappointed and I didn't really want to, um, talk a lot about CFO football because, um, you know, there wasn't a lot to talk about first of all. And, you know, we could go back and we could have watched the, um, you know, older gray cups and, and talked about that, but I just, this wasn't feeling it. But, uh, now that we're back, uh, I'm glad that uh, we get to sit down and, and talk about some stuff here today. Yeah, I feel like if we would have kept doing it, we, we could have done the old game stuff. And I still think maybe we'll, we'll do a couple of those, maybe over mm-hmm. the over what would have been, the I, I nearly said over the off season, but I guess this whole year has been an off season. What would have been the off season? But uh, it, everything was just so negative. And I know that we, you and I can both tend to, you're a little bit more pessimistic. I'm a little bit more optimistic. I spent the entire spring and early summer being like, no, we're going to, we're going to see games. I'll figure it out. And maybe that's why I was bummed out as much when they canceled the season. Cause I was like, man, I really thought that they would figure out a way to get this done. Um, but it was just, it was all negative news. It was what the league was doing wrong. And, and I know that we sometimes delve into the negative and there are some things that we're going to talk about today that are inherently negative, but I mean, it's just it's it's not as much fun talking when there can't be like if there's going to be negative stuff I want to I want to balance it out with some with some good stuff too and and everything from basically when they announced the season was shutting down until about last week it was all kind of just negative stuff and I it doesn't make it as much fun for me to sit down and talk 
about the league when it's just we're being bombarded with just terrible news after terrible news. Yeah, I mean, there's no football on the field. And then on top of that, there's uh, all these reports that, you know, good things aren't happening within the league with the players and with with the, uh, you know, the owners and the league itself. It was just it, it was an ugly scene there for a long time. And, you know, there's probably some more negativity to come, but uh, hopefully mixed in there, there's some positivity of, a, you know, there's a, the schedule was released recently for next year. So, you know, that's not a guarantee that they're going to be playing next year. But uh you know, it's something to, to grasp onto, something to look forward to. Yeah, it gave me, when they announced the, the schedule, it gave me a glimmer of hope. And it was the same yeah. earlier this week when they the, the Ticats announced that they were going to sell Grey Cup tickets for next year. And it's, it's, it's entirely possible we don't have a 21, 2021 season and maybe this is the end of the CFL because I two years without games, you're, you're probably hard yeah. up against to, to make this league work. But just little things like that, like a schedule release, like, hey, man, plop down a, a down a down payment, a deposit for your Grey Cup tickets, which is what I did because I want something to look forward to. We've had 2020 from basically February on has sucked, quite frankly. There's been very little to get excited about. It's it, Even the things we do enjoy, like college football and the NFL – we still have to deal with all the COVID stuff. We just mm-hmm. had a game postponed, a Thanksgiving game between the Steelers and Ravens postponed this week. Numerous college football games have been canceled. It, it, it's still a looming specter over even the things that we enjoy. So there's still that inherent negativity towards the things that are even happening. But something as small as we're, we're going to talk about the schedule. We're going to talk about the 108th Grey Cup coming to Hamilton. Like maybe – you know, in six months' time, we look foolish for getting excited about this stuff, but I'd rather have something to look forward to than the dreariness that has been the almost the entirety of 2020. Absolutely. And, the, you know, there's things are in the work for, uh, you know, vaccine-wise for, for COVID and all that stuff. So um, if, if that stuff can get done, then, um, you know, we can look forward to traveling. Not, not you, obviously. You live in Hamilton, but I can look forward to traveling to Hamilton and, uh taking in the Grey Cup, you know, the first time in Hamilton since 1996. So um, if everything goes smoothly and uh, we're able to travel to Hamilton and uh, take it all in, I think it's going to be a great Grey Cup. And, uh, you know, it'll be nice because, you know, you go to, I go to the Grey Cup almost every year, and maybe it's a, you know, a year off will re-energize everyone and, and we'll be more excited to take in CFL football than uh, we ever have been since we lost it for a year. Yeah, and maybe people won't take it for granted. Like it's yeah. one of those things that's always oh it's always there so it's yep. a, it's it's a steady constant and instead we lost it and it, you know people are kind of lost in the wilderness without it but yeah like your first game at Tim Hortons Field is going to be the Grey Cup next year and here's yeah. fingers crossed that our Tie Cats are in it and they're winning it and then then of course if that happens you are never allowed to come back if they win the Grey right. Cup that that that's got to be your only memory at the field you know what I mean like yeah. you, you come yeah. for one game they win the entire thing they end the twenty plus year drought. It's it'd be the perfect storybook ending to Mike's journey from Iverwind Stadium to Tim Hortons Field. Yeah, it'd be like George Costanza, you know, he ends on a laugh and then just leaves. You know, <laughs> got to get the hell out of there. Yeah, yep, on a high note. Absolutely, end on a high note. Uh, okay, let's. Um, I really don't know how to segue into this next thing we're going to talk about, but uh, last weekend, uh, I may have been a little bit of a smartass on the old tweet machine and. Uh, Took a shot at uh, friend of the show, and that's in quotes. 
Uh, one Ricky Foley, former Toronto Argonaut, BC Lions, Saskatchewan Rough Rider. A uh, little backstory here. Foley went to York University in Toronto. I graduated from U of T. And I've always kind of made fun of, and still do because I'm a little bit of a jerk, people who go to York. York is, and even among some of my U of T friends, it's like, oh, you went to York? Like, oh, you couldn't get into a real school? And it, it's, it's, it's chiding, and it's childish, and it's silly, and it's unnecessary. So he posted some idiotic tweet about anti-masks or government shutdowns or lockdowns. I honestly don't even remember what he said. I guess remember it was something that made me roll my eyes. So I took a shot at him like, oh, this is what you get with a York education or something like that. And he came back with some hot fire. He, uh, <laughs> he did not take too kindly to, uh, to me ripping on his, uh, his, his education and his intelligence and uh, called me some, some really nasty names. And there was a bit of a backlash on Foley. A lot of people, CFL fans, uh, took him to task for the things that he said to me. I, I didn't care. I don't know the guy. He doesn't know me. I I don't know about you, but I don't really care what strangers think of me. Uh, and that's essentially what he is. He played football, so like he's he's known for that. But I, I don't know him personally, so I don't really give a damn what, what someone like that thinks of me. I, I was more upset about his, and, and he's continued to, to tweet about it, about his... Uh, his, his basically he's, he's, he's one step away from basically saying that this whole thing is a hoax, honestly. Uh, it's, it's anti-mask. It's calling people sheeple for wearing masks. It's, it's just it's all that BS COVID stuff that you don't want to hear about anymore. And again, I will fully, fully admit that my initial tweet to him was absolutely meant as a shot. It was absolutely, I don't know if you would necessarily call it trolling, but it was, it was borderline at best. Uh, and then he came back at me, of, of course. The coming back at me part, I, I don't really care about, like I said. It's I, focusing on the, the stu- stupidity that he's perpetuating out there. This is a guy who is a role model to children for some unknown reason. But there are people, because he was a pro athlete, that look up to him. And when you're out there and you're saying things like this, it's, it's not just you're attacking me. What about the people that you're attacking that look up to you that also kind of identify with this sort of stuff. So it was, it was just, uh, I mean, it made for an interesting Saturday afternoon, uh, <laughs> at my apartment, but other than that, I don't know, man, I, I just would rather focus on the fact that he's, he's spewing sort of unintellectual COVID conspiracy garbage versus kind of what he said to me. Like, cause we, we, we know, and we've talked about it on the show, but we know he's a jerk. Like this is, <clears throat> this is nothing new. Like, yeah, I'm sure people, you know, Argos fans, Riders fans in particular, you know, we'll back this guy up, but we've both kind of had personal ish interactions with him. So we kind of know that he's, he's, he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. And my, um, my interaction with him at the, uh, one of the touchdown Atlantics, you know, it wasn't as bad as what the things he said to you on Twitter, you know, sucking a bag of D's and whatever he <laughs> yeah. said. And the, the, yeah. the immaturity that you see come out, you know, on Twitter out of his account. Um, but you know, I, I was, I was nice to him. I met him at a pub where there was like, you know, the Toronto Argonaut showed up. Chad Owens was there and there were some other people. I was wearing my tie cat here. So, you know, I kind of get it that he was kind of rude to me, but I tried to shake his hand and he wouldn't shake my hand and he brushed me off and whatever. And that's fine. Like, you know, I'm not going to like, uh, you know, I don't like him because of it, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, we all know, we've known for a long time that this guy's a jerk and he, uh, he shows it publicly. Uh, on Twitter, the way they interact with people and the immaturity of it all. So, you know, no surprise to me. 
and uh, yeah, he's just a he's just an immature person. That's all he is. Yeah, it, this whole COVID stuff has really kind of exposed a lot of people, the mm. the sort of the people that you might not really want in your life at in any sort of way. But this is, uh, I, I say this to a lot of people when when this is talked about COVID. COVID is told on a lot of people, and we're we're seeing that in uh, in e- even some of our celebrities and professional athletes that uh, people. And I get it. Kids look. I, I, I was a kid at one time, and I looked up to guys, you know, pro wrestlers, football players, hockey player, like. Mm. You're a kid, and, and you see these people do these amazing athletic things, and you're like, "Oh man, I want to be that one day." And but then you you know you get older, and you find out the, the, a lot of them. Some you know some of them are, are decent human beings, but you find out that quite a few of them, you know, just they're they're not very nice. And and yep. Twitter has kind of exposed that, and COVID has kind of exposed that that there are a lot of people out there that uh, that maybe aren't the good human beings that they sort of portray in you know right. photo ops. Because like I, I I saw pictures of Foley with like with children and he and he, he's smiling and he, he's but uh-huh. you can't to me you can't judge someone based on what they do when there's a camera in their face you got to judge them based on what they do when when no one's watching and and from from what i've heard and and from what you've experienced and then of course you know what happened last weekend when the camera's off ricky foley's not a very nice person and yeah he's not the only athlete i'm sure there are guys in the tie cats who probably think the things he thinks and that's just the way it is so it, I feel bad for the kids who look up to these guys, but at the same time, uh, I, I just I wish there we had better role models, I guess, in society yeah. because they, these these people are at some point more than likely going to fail you, and that's 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 heartbreaking for a kid. For me, I don't yeah, really care. Yeah, me neither. But back in the day, you know, it's um, a world without Twitter and all that stuff. The mystique, you know, you you don't know what these guys are like. But now that we have Twitter and social media, you kind of see that. Uh, you know, what you see on camera and, uh, you know, in interviews aren't necessarily the same person, you know, aren't the real person, you know? So, um, that's exposed a lot of people, social media. Yeah. So let's, let's put this behind us. Let's talk about some, some good stuff for a second. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. There was a schedule release, Mike. We know if the schedule goes off as planned, who, when, and where the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and of course the rest of the CFL, We'll be playing in 2021. Uh, initial thoughts when you first saw the schedule. What was uh, what's sort of the first thing that popped out to you, or what the first thing that popped into your mind? Outside of oh my god, we got a schedule. This is something to look forward to. Uh, well, the first thing that popped in my mind with the Ticat schedule is how many times we play the Argonauts. Absolutely, um, you know, four times in the regular season, two preseason games, so six times in total. Um, maybe a seventh time if we meet them in the playoffs. So, and... you know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I, uh, uh, it's. I think it's good. You know, I, I'm. I've been a detractor of you know the back-to-back games, but um, you know I think that playing the Argonauts so much in a season uh, might build up the rivalry again. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get some hatred between those two teams when they play so much. So, and I think it's a good thing for the Argonauts to have the Tiger Cats at their home stadium as much as possible to uh, you know get some more fans there. So. That's the one thing that really stood out to me is the uh, the Ar- the games against the Argonauts and uh, you know not playing the Western Division as much. Yeah, so that they, they kind of go hand in hand because there's four games against the Argos because they did an unbalanced schedule and privately I have I have been putting together sort of an unbalanced schedule if and when there's ever a tenth team and thinking that we need to 
to go more into the divisions mattering. You got 10 teams in two divisions. There, there's a schedule there that can work. That's an unbalanced schedule that I think is fair, but also kind of builds up your intra-division rivalries, which I think is what we want. We see the Argos four times in the regular season, two pairs of back-to-backs. We also see the Red Blacks three times this year, where in previous years it would have only been two. And because of that, there's no game uh, in BC for the Ticats, and the Riders do not come to Hamilton. Uh, I, for one, am in favor of the unbalanced schedule. I am very much in favor of not having to watch the Ticats play at 1030 at night in a game in BC. That will be wonderful for my sleep schedule. Um, but what do, you, what do you think of the whole unbalanced schedule? Like, uh, sort of taking the whole schedule as a whole. What, uh, are you in favor of it? Are you not in favor of it? Where do, where do you kind of fall on that? I think I like it. I like the, you know, playing the Eastern Division teams more. Um, you know, I was kind of worried that there might not be a game. And I was going through it the first time. I was like, where's the game in Edmonton? Where's the game in Edmonton? And then, you know, it's uh, it's October 9th. It's late in the season. But uh, in future schedules, I'm hoping they don't take away the, the game at Edmonton. That's my only worry because that's the only chance I get to see the Tiger Cats live unless they play in Calgary which is kind of difficult for me, too, to get there and come back, you know, for work and all that stuff. So I'm in favor of this. I, I, I think, you know, I love the back-to-back games against the Argonauts early in the season. And then around Labor Day, we have back-to-backs with the Argonauts again. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I, I think it's going to be great. I don't care for the Wednesday night game, if I'm being oh, Yeah, honest. the Wednesday night game sucks. I mean, I, you don't want to have a Wednesday night game or a Tuesday night game. Or anything like even a Thursday night game kind of sucks sometimes, but uh, yeah, that Wednesday night game is kind of weird. Yeah, the, the uh, only I, I, the only sort of silver lining though is that it's the first of a back to back against the Argos, so there's no competitive uh, advantage for either team, right? So true. That's the one thing where I, like I saw the Wednesday, I was like Wednesday, oh god, that's terrible. And then it's like okay, but they play the Argos, and then they play the Argos again on Labor Day. It's like from a player safety perspective, five days between games is not is not good. The, the the league enacted you know a, a third bye week and the high cats kind of technically get four bye weeks so do the argos in this because of this wednesday game so i guess that's sort of the the balance of okay you got to play these two games in in short order but after that you both you're both off and you can rest up and i guess that's kind of okay um but yeah the, the wednesday game i wasn't uh i wasn't too thrilled with and it's it's really the only part of the schedule that i'm kind of well it's that and the fact that the tie cats do not play back-to-back home games without there being a buy in between. It was one of these things I was going through the schedule at first and was like, oh, okay, they got two games in a row. Oh, there's a bye week in there. Oh, they got two. That's another bye week. Oh, this is weird. They they don't – they're not the only team I think I, I look when I looked into it. I think Montreal and Calgary also don't play back-to-back home games uh, in, in consecutive weeks. So, like, that's a little weird schedule quirk. But, I mean, I'm just glad there's a schedule. <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest with you, dude, there, there's a schedule we – have a blueprint of where we could be in June. And, uh, and that just kind of brought a smile to my face. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, something to grasp onto, something to look forward to. So I'm a giant dork and I've had the week off. And so what I, what I did was I, uh, I printed out the schedule and I went game by game and figured out, well, what could the records of the teams be? Where would everyone fall? And I kind of want to get your opinion on this, Mike. I, I know you're Mr. Nine and nine. And you always think Ticats are going to go 500. Hey, you were right in 2020. They went 500 in 2020. Um, I mean, it was zero and zero, but still it counts. <laughs> uh, so I went through this and, and I just kind of, okay, well, who do I think will win this game and, and kind of give my reasons. And I had the Ticats finishing 14 and four 
in 2021 if the schedule holds. I got them losing at Winnipeg the first week of the season. I got them dropping the game in Saskatchewan, Calgary, and then I think one in Montreal. Uh, but it still had them as the first-place team in the East. I And again, this is obviously way too early. This is predicated on, on these teams bringing back essentially the same rosters that we would have seen in 2020. But I, I, I feel no reason to, to think that the Ticats can't be you know, a 12, 13, 14 win team like they were in 2019 and, you know, be one of the favorites to get back to the Grey Cup. This team is just that talented. Yeah, and I was, you know, I'm thinking about it now. It's like, why couldn't they take away the Calgary game? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why can't we play in Calgary? Like, it's, it's like an automatic L on the every year. It doesn't yeah. matter. That's why like, I, it'll I, be close. I, yeah, it'll I be assume... close, but there'll be some freak, you know, happenstance where. You know, it was last year or two. You know, the last season we played in Calgary. It was uh, whoever it was that blocked the kick at the end of the game had a rocket up his ass and jumped like fifty feet in the air and blocked yeah. the. You know, it's just one thing after the other. So maybe next year we won't be able. To, you know, they'll take away the Calgary game. But you know, I'm Mister Nine and Nine, and you know, it's just a gimmick. But um, <laughs> realistically, you know, with this team, uh, we were at the Grey Cup last last season, so. You know, most of the the players are coming back, and we should have a really good team. You know, I can see this team winning 11, 12 games, something like that, if I'm given a realistic prediction. But if we're talking about Mike, you know, on Pods Wee Wee, it's definitely going to be 9 and 9. 9 and 9, 9 and 9. I mean, did you say something about 18 and 0 on Twitter? Well, that's that's imaginary. That's imaginary Uh, prediction. Oh, that's right. That was the 2020 season. If it would have been played, that's right. That's right. Yes. I fr- okay, I, yeah, I got my wires crossed there. Um, any any games that uh, that like obviously you said the Argos game stand out to you? I, I'm in favor of the three games against Ottawa and the, the three games against against Montreal. Like I said, the interdivision, the interdivision stuff. They play ten games against the East, and eight against the West. I like that. The East, the divisions should matter. If you're going to have divisions, and I'm in favor of divisions, the divisions should matter. So the whole unbalanced schedule, playing playing these teams this many times. I think that's I think that's something that hopefully the league will do going forward. I know you'll be upset if there's never a game in Edmonton, which obviously could be a possibility at some point. I think you rotate through the West team that they don't go to and the West team that doesn't come here. Um, so there, I, I imagine if an unbalanced schedule is is to stay going forward, there's likely going to be a year, unfortunately, where they do not head to Edmonton. Um, and yeah, that would suck for you, and I would feel bad. But I, I just like how they've set this up where divisions matter. My only my only issue with that is. They don't play a division opponent after October 1st. Their last three games are against the West. I would have loved to see division games backloaded into the schedule. Uh, like Edmonton, they go at Edmonton, BC here, at Calgary. Man, put those games in the summer. Put those games as your July and your August games, and let's backload this schedule with games against Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 get, I get the... You know, if you're going to do the Wednesday game and the Monday game, you kind of have to do it with the same team just from a competitive advantage standpoint. So I'm okay with that. But the first, the first back-to-back with, with the Argos, I mean, again, it's a Saturday and then a Thursday, so I guess you kind of have to do that. I, I, would, have, I would have liked maybe only one back-to-back uh, as opposed to the two, um, and I would have just loved to see some backloaded games uh, against the East. Give, give me some of those division games, against, especially against Montreal. I think Montreal, we can all agree – is likely to be the team that is the one that will give the Ticats the most run for the, the division crown. Let, let's get some more of these games in the back half of the schedule. And, like, it, it, you got Montreal, Toronto twice. 
You got tw- okay, you got Ottawa once, Montreal twice, and Toronto twice in the second half of the season. I would have just liked to have seen them later. Uh, let, let, let's move those games against the West up. Especially, like, would you rather... Like, I know you're going to go to the game regardless, but, man, an October... A Saturday October night game in Edmonton. Let's move that to let's move that to July. Let, 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 let's get these West yeah. games earlier in the season. Let's backload and maybe you know stadium availability might have been an issue, but let's let's get these these division games later in the schedule so that they like they mean so much more. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I don't mind the late uh, game in Edmonton. You know, in October, it, you know, it means that the game could mean more in the standings. You know, late in the season, so I don't mind that, but. You know, you can keep that game and then, you know, put Montreal in the last two weeks. Montreal or Toronto in the last two weeks would be nice. I'm really looking forward to the games against Montreal because they showed us that they're a good team the last time they played. You know, you got Vernon Adams coming up. He's, he's going to be um, a great quarterback in this league. He's already shown that he can play really well. So uh, I think they're a young, exciting team. And I think that the Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes are going to have some, some great battles in the next couple of years. So I'm really looking forward to those three games. So I think uh, even though it's way, way too early, we're a week away from a week after what would have been the, uh, the 2020 Grey Cup. So obviously looking ahead to the 2021 Grey Cup is a little, a little premature, I think would be fair to say. But I think we're both, we're both of the opinion that if things go the way they should go, the Ticats are likely to be playing the Grey Cup at home in Hamilton. And during, uh, what was it, Grey Cup Unite, I think is what they were calling it. Uh, they unveiled sort of the branding and logos for the, the 108th Grey Cup that will be in Hamilton, the first Grey Cup here since 96. And, you know, you look at the Grey Cup logo and, and like, that's, that's whatever. They've, they've gone to a similar template for the Grey Cup logos over the last few years. And whether you like it or not, it's, that's kind of just what they've done. I, I preferred when the Grey Cup logos were, were individual, were different. But uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a nice looking logo. But the festival logo, I, I think, looks looks pretty pretty cool. And they they've got some festival merch that I'm, you know, kind of hemming and hawing about purchasing. But how did you feel seeing sort of the hype video and, and all this branding and thinking, holy crap, the Grey Cup's actually coming to Hamilton for the first time in a quarter century? Yeah, it's uh, you know the Ticats team uh, on Ticats.ca does a really good job of all these hype videos they do. Every single one of them is is really well done it's really impressive and it really gets your you know it gets uh, the goosebumps going on your skin and it's 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 great stuff but uh yeah you're right the great cup logo you know it's the same as the last four or five years uh, i kind of like that they have tim Hortons field in the background that's kind of cool but but other than that it's pretty much the same but but you're right the festival logo with the hammer and then the great cup on top of the hammer and it, it it's pretty nice so um you know i, I i'm I give a thumbs up towards the festival hammer and uh, the actual Grey Cup logo is just kind of meh to me. But but yeah, I can see myself buying some of that uh, some of that festival logo uh, merchandise for sure. Maybe a, a t-shirt or a hat or something. It's pretty nice stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's again, it's just another thing to look forward to. It's like they've put the effort into this. They've they think this is going to happen, even in the mm-hmm. middle of this pandemic. They think. November 21st, we're going to be at Tim Hortons Field watching the championship game of the, of the Canadian Football League. And that just, I don't know, again, it's just something more to sort of buoy spirits, if you will. There's, there's still a lot of negativity. And, and I, I think there's going to be people who don't think this is going to happen and will tell you I told you so. But just seeing sort of the stuff, like being able to look at it and, and buy stuff with it on and 
there's still a lot of work to do, obviously, to get here. But it's just it's one of those things where you see it, you you kind of go, okay, maybe we're on the right path. Yep, exactly. It's it's uh, you know, 1996 is a long time, so. I think they're going to do this thing right. You know, if everything goes smoothly and everything is, is uh, you know, moving forward and we can get people to come to the city and it's a full Grey Cup, then uh, I think it's going to be one of the best festivals we've had in years. I think it's going to be a massive success. I think we talked, you said earlier about sort of a year away, maybe it'll get people more invested. I think that if everything is fine and dandy and we're back to essentially normal, this could be one of the biggest Grey Cup festivals of all time. And that might be hyperbole, that might be overhyping it, but I think, again, a year away, we'll have people being like, you know what? Like, I, And I don't think it's necessarily because it's in Hamilton. I think that wherever the next Grey Cup would have been held would have been the biggest one, just because I think people missing the year of, of CFL football, they would have just been so amped up to get back to – because there's people that go to these festivals every year and have gone for decades and, and they yep. missed it this year. And it's, it's going to be back. It's, it's going to be in a place that a lot of people haven't visited. I think that that will play a slight role in this. And I think, I do think that there are people that want to see this succeed so that we can get ourselves back into this gray cup rotation. And hopefully it doesn't take another 25 years before people are enjoying Hamilton and a gray cup once again. No, it definitely won't. They're going to put on a great show. They're going to make, you know, the city of Hamilton's going to pull in a ton of money. I think, and uh, it's going to be great for the league and great for Hamilton and great for the, the, the organization. All right. Let's talk about something TSN did, Mike, that uh, I think we both kind of agree was uh, – I, I would say it was well done, but I would say that there was also some misses here, and that is they put together an eight-team tournament to crown the greatest Grey Cup champion of all time. And they had, you know, the, the 95 Stallions were in there, the 81 Edmonton team, uh, I think it was the 97 Argos, and, and they had eight teams. And when you first hear they're doing the eight-team tournament, you go, oh, okay, one team's going to be left out. And then you go, well, they're going to put Baltimore in there, so that means two teams are going to be left out. And the two teams that were left out were the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I know there are a lot of people out there that think the Riders – Either the 89 or the 2013 team should have been in there. I, I disagree. I think leaving out a right, they only have four Grey Cups. And I'm, you're probably going to argue that the 66 team was the best one they had because they get back to the Grey Cup in 67. So that's probably their best shot at sort of like a, not a dynasty, but crowning who, who the best Riders championship team was is probably 66. But I don't think there's really a Saskatchewan team that you can say is definitively one of the eight best. Not so with the Tie Cats. They leave out the Tie Cats, and there is a team that I know you both you and I agree on this that should have been included, and that is the '67 team. Um, I think there are a lot of excellent Grey Cup champions. The '63 team was really good. I think the '72 team they won something like eight or nine, or maybe ten in a row. Um, after after I think they started like I want to say they started one and three, and then they just like rolled to the championship. I think, I'm pretty sure it was ten straight they won. Even the 99 team was, was pretty good, getting back there after 98 and, and, and being one of the better teams in club history. But 1967, that, that's the best Ticats team of all time, and that is easily one of the eight best Grey Cup champions ever, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree, and I think that you, it's easy to decide who you're going to take off that list. And to me, it was kind of confusing. Is this 
the best teams or is this the best stories, you know? Because if it's the best stories, then maybe the 2011 Alliance should be on there, you know, starting 0-5. But in no world do I think that the uh, 2011 BC Lions were one of the best teams to win the Grey Cup. Okay, so that's just ridiculous. They were considered the eighth best. They were the eighth seed in this tournament. They were the eighth best team to win the Grey Cup. I, I, that's the same with me. When I when I sat down, because again, I, you do these things where you're like, this team should be in. Well, they're doing eight teams, so you can't you can't just put a ninth team in and be like, well, they, they deserve it. You got to find someone that that has to come out. And that Lions team, look, we're nitpicking over great Grey Cup teams. And that Lions team for the first third of the year was atrocious. I think they were zero and five, and then one and six. And then they went on this run, and they won the Grey Cup at home, and, and everyone everyone celebrates it. The difference to me between – like, every team goes through kind of lulls in, in a season. And the, the 67 Cats had a three-game losing streak in the middle of the year, and you're going, okay, maybe they, they, they start 6-1, and one, they get to 6-4, and four, and you're like, okay, maybe maybe that's, that's your reason for leaving them out. But the reason that they should be in, and even over BC, BC, as good as they were over the last two-thirds of the season, there's just one game – that stands out kind of like a sore thumb. And it's they came to Hamilton and got absolutely trounced by the Tie Cats. I want to say it was like 42 to 10. And Hamilton who that year I think finished 8 and 10, uh they got to the East Final. I believe that was the year. Yeah, what? Yeah, 2011 cuz Winnipeg got to the Great Cup. So it was the year they lost in the East Final to the Bombers. That Tie Cats team wasn't a great team. But BC who was on this who was on this run came in here and got absolutely throttled. You juxtapose that with the 67 team and like they didn't allow a touchdown over their final six games they had maybe the most dominant playoff run of any team ever they allowed this this is this is definitive fact they allowed an average of 2.8 points per game over their final six games think about that that's less than a field goal a game could you imagine if a team nowadays won six straight games by averaging, allowing less than a field goal and not allowing a touchdown. We'd be talking about them as the greatest defense of all time. And yet yep. this 67 team doesn't get the respect it deserves. They go into the playoffs. They beat they beat Ottawa in a two-game head-to-head, shutting them out in the second half. And then they win the Grey Cup by beating the defending champs 24-1. to Yeah. Like... Led, a team led by the great Ron Lancaster and uh Who won the Grey Cup Reed the year before. In the background. They yeah, won the cha- in the backfield. It's it's like they shut down that offense to one one point. point. A rouge. One point. It was the lowest score in the modern era, like the CFL era of the Grey Cup. Um, one of four games or three games, sorry, that allowed just a single point. There were six shutouts, but none of those happened after 1950. So this is basically the most dominant defensive performance in a Grey Cup in the modern era of the Canadian football league. And I don't really don't understand how you look at the 2011 lions and say that they would have beat this team because like you said, they go into the gray cup against the defending champions with two of the greatest to ever do it at their position and completely shut them down a single point. When, like you said, Ron Lancaster and George Reed, imagine, imagine if the Anthony Calvillo, Mike Pringle, Montreal Alouettes got to a gray cup and were beaten by a team that gave up one point to them. You'd be like, that's the greatest defense of all time. Yep. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know how they overlooked this team. Maybe um, it was too far back. Like I, I'm not sure, but uh, it's definitely an oversight on their part because you're right. I mean, it's probably it's the best defense in the history of the CFL. So 
Uh, you just look at some of these scores during that season, and you know it's nine points to the Argonauts, uh, one point against Montreal. Uh, you know there are four points against the Alouettes again, five points from the Argonauts, three points from the Rough Riders. It's just it goes on and on. Uh, the teams they they held to under ten points is ridiculous. So, um, and in your your article you wrote, you know all the Hall of Famers that were on that team as well. So. The, uh, it's just a huge oversight by whoever's selecting these greatest Grey Cup teams. And and I would agree with you on the maybe it was too long ago. and But they put the 48 Stampeders, who uh-huh. went undefeated, sure, but that wasn't in the CFL. That was pre-CFL, but they went undefeated. So I, I can kind of understand, you know, the only undefeated champion. Yeah, they deserve to be in the tournament. I think they put like the 58 Bombers, which I'm sure was a, was a great team. So, like, the, the idea that you weren't looking back that far to, to get to, to get yeah, these, to, to name these champions, it's, it's an oversight. And I know there was some talk online that the 72 Ticats were the team that they were considered, and it's just, it just boggles my mm-hmm. mind that they completely overlooked 67. Like, yep. 2.8 points a game over the final six games. That is, you will never see that again. No, definitely not, you know, uh, no, that would be impossible in the CFL, you know, with all the the ways you can score points, and it's just it's just not going to happen. You're not going to see a defense like that ever, ever again. No, it was it, to me, it was just a massive, massive oversight from from the selectors, and it's just something that uh, it did. It does like again, this is all for fun, and, and these these lists are meant to generate debate. And I don't know. To me, if, if aside from the 2011 Lions, if any of those other teams were left off, I think that those fan bases would have would have a gripe as well. You know what I mean? Like if, if someone said the, the 97 Argos or even the 96 Argos, quite frankly, but the 97 ones just absolutely obliterated the riders in the great cup. If they said, Oh, they're not on the, they're not on the list. Then, you know, Argos fans would, would rightly have a gripe. And, and same with, I mean, any one of those five Edmonton teams in that run, you, you probably could have picked and they, they chose 81, but I think they were the, the one loss team. So that's probably why they got it. But there are a lot of, there are, I'm not just making this argument. Like, I mean, we're making the argument because the Ticats were left off and this is, we think the greatest Ticats team of all time. But I think if any of the other seven would have been left off, excluding the 2011 Lions, I think those fan bases would have a gripe as well. It just, it, to me, it was seven, maybe seven perfect picks. Although I'm, I'm sure the Montreal one, you could have gone with a couple of their teams. Uh, but I think if the if the if this, uh, the 1967 Ticats were in there, I think this would have been the definitive. No matter how you want to rank them, one to eight, the the, the top Grey Cup champions of all time. Yeah, and if we look at the the teams that made it, you know, during our lifetimes, so I'd have to, you know, if you pit if you put the 97 Argonauts against the 95 Baltimore Stallions, who you got? Ooh, it's a tough one, right? I mean. It, it might that is hard. Those are those are two what, both fifteen win teams, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go with the Stallions because they did beat Flutie in the '95 Grey Cup. That's true. So I that's but true. but yeah, picking between those, picking tough. between those two is that 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 is hard. Yeah, I mean, if you go position by position, um, I mean, I just think about the quarterback position right there. I mean, obviously you go. You, yeah, you, you go Doug Flutie over Tracy. Yeah. 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 I mean, Tracy Ham was a great quarterback, but he wasn't Doug Flutie. And no. Yeah, it, it'd be a tough matchup. I th- it'd be interesting if uh, they could line up against each other, you know, in a you know, fantasy game, and uh, we could we could watch what happens. But, 
I think it would be a, a pretty damn close game. And I know that the 81 Eskimos ended up winning. And that's a team that, I, you know, it was before yeah. before I was watching football, before I was born. So I can't really judge that. You know, you got the great Warren Moon and all those the five championships in a row. And you can't really argue against it. But to me, um, you know, if I was going to pick, it would be the 97 Argonauts against the 95 Baltimore Stallions. Yeah, do you think those are the two greatest teams of your lifetime? Yeah, I'd have to say so. You know, the Montreal Alouettes, 2009 or 2010, were pretty darn good, and there's been some really good Stampeders teams in there, but, uh, you know, the 97 Argonauts led by Doug Flutie were just ridiculous. You know, pinball, you know, Mazzotti, Drummond in the backfield, and just the way that offense, uh, you know, destroyed other teams. Um, it was It was pretty fun to watch, even though they were the Argonauts. Uh, but yeah, those would have to be the best two teams that I've seen. I would, of Grey Cup champions, yeah. I think that the fun thing is, is there's so many teams that didn't win the Grey Cup that you could put in a conversation as, like, if had they won, like, uh, well, the the year Calgary lost to Ottawa, uh, 2016, that Stampeders team is one of the best teams ever. Last year's Ticats team, would, to me, would be in the conversation as one of the best teams ever if they would have won the championship. There's just so many teams that get, like, how many of those Alouettes teams that Calvillo lost in Grey Cups right. to, how many of those could have been in there? Um, the the uh, the BC Lions the year they lost the Argos in 04 when they had Casey Printers as the MOP like that was a really good team like there's a lot of the 98 Cats losing losing to the Stamps the 99 Stamps who lost to the Cats like there's there's so many teams the 2001 uh, Blue Bombers 14 and four right. and losing the Grey Cup yeah. like there are a lot of really good teams that didn't win the championship that I'd almost be interested to see a tournament of the the best Grey Cup losers like. And, and even teams that didn't get the Grey Cup. What about the uh, 89 Edmonton? 16-2. Uh, mm-hmm. and two. And th- you know what I mean? Like, there's 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 a lot of great teams that didn't actually win the Grey Cup that uh, unfortunately get forgotten about in sort of these debates because I, I think you could put some of those teams up against these teams that won the championship. And, like, I, mm-hmm. honestly, the, all those teams that I mentioned are probably are better than the 2011 Lions team that got in there. Yeah, that's the thing about the CFL, right? I mean, you know, one game, and I know it's no different than any other football league, but one game, you know, the the weather plays a big part in, into it. You know, you could have great teams, you know, like a, a 15-3 and three or a 16-2 team going up against a 9-9 nine and nine team, and, and they could lose because of, you know, cold weather or whatever. I remember Doug Flutie um, in a Western final playing, I believe, against the Eskimos. He had to come out of the game because his hands were too cold. And that's a huge factor, you know, taking, you know, arguably the best player in CFL history out of the game because of the weather. Um, that's the unpredictability of the CFL, right? Yeah, it's what it's what makes the game so much fun. It's heartbreaking for, I mean, mm-hmm. for us, we, we, we had to deal with the being the heavy favorites this time last year and, and watching our team lose. But it is, it's, it's, it's what makes football to me the best sport because it's one game, winner take all, anything can happen. And we, how many times have we seen the underdog team that shouldn't have a hope in hell, not just make it a fighting chance, but but win the whole thing? What was the what was the year that was it the eighty? I think it was nineteen eighty Edmonton that they uh, they won by three. It, maybe it was I, I, maybe it was eighty two. I, I can't. But, but they but they beat they beat the Ottawa Rough Riders. Riders. Yeah, and Rough Riders was like five was and twelve or something. It was the, it was the greatest uh, team of all time. It was eighty one. Was it really? Yeah, it was the eighty one team. And they, they barely they, won the Grey Cup that year. Yeah, yeah. And weren't to they losing at halftime? Yeah, they were. To I mean, a five-win team. 
that imagine if that and I, I yeah wasn't auto up like 20 to 3 or something like that at halftime and it's it's yep. funny because like i you look at great cups and you think like was the 96 argos better than the 97 one they played a better team in the great cup in 96 but still won not handily but you know they they won that game and won one of the greatest great cups of all time but in 97 they get back there but i think the riders went into that game as an eight win team who, who I, yeah. i'm not, not sure if they were second or third in the west but they're an eight win team and the argos absolutely obliterate them but they're an eight win team quarterback so, was who was the quarterback it was uh was it reggie slack yeah. reggie slack Come god on. he was bad yeah reggie slack was not winning anyone a great cup you know what i mean no. so no. it's it's fun. These these things are fun, and like I'm, we're not taking it too seriously. The 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 sixty seven team got snubbed, quote unquote. But look, it's it, this is all in good fun, and it gives us a chance to kind of reminisce about history. And I think that's a good thing. I think them putting teams in, like I think putting the sixty seven team in, would also have been good from a historical perspective because you get people talking about the game way back then and, and getting some players that maybe time has forgotten a little bit or newer fans, especially fans in Ottawa. And I'm not trying to take a shot at them, but there are a lot of newer fans of the Red Blacks who weren't following the CFL. I mean, they weren't alive in, in the sixties, but they also weren't following the CFL in the nineties and maybe the early two thousands. So it's nice to kind of maybe give some more historical teams and maybe, maybe they could have done a 16 team tournament. Cause maybe you could have found now you would have obviously duplicated some teams in there, but I don't know. It, it was, it was meant to be fun. I thought it was fun, but I think it would have been a little more fun if we would have got a chance to debate you know who the sixty-seven? Could you imagine the sixty? That sixty-seven defense going up against the ninety-seven Argos offense. Like, how much fun would that have been to to yep. debate back and forth? Yeah, and you mentioned some of the players. I just, you know, I'm reading from your article here, and we'll just list off the Hall of Famers from that sixty-seven team. You got Angela Mosca, Garney Henley, John Barrow, Allison Kelly, Tommy Grant, Hal Patterson, Tommy Joe Coffey, Bill Danchuk, Willie Bethea. Bob Krause, Dave Fleming. I mean, that's a lot of players. That are and Ralph Cezio on the sideline. And Ralph Cezio on the sideline, exactly. So, I mean, that, that that's a good number of players that have made it into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, just you just look at a- Angela Mosca. I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and I can just imagine going up against a guy like him, like <laughs> just a monster of a man. Well, Pretty they, scary stuff. TSN did that all-time Ticats list. And Henley and Barrow and Mosca were all on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so there is still, there's, like, I, I remember when the defensive line was announced. That That's the one that always sticks out to me. It was Monfort and, and Grover on the ends, Barrow and Mosca, and nobody, there was nobody debating that there was anyone else that could have taken one of those four spots. And two of those guys were on the 67 team side by side on that defensive line. So, I mean, you know, we could we could talk about this till the cows come home about how great that team was. We didn't see it, but obviously, in doing some research and knowing our history, we know how great that team was. But uh, I don't know; it's just a little bit, a little bit of fun, I guess. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll do it again another time, and maybe, maybe our our little push to get them on there will uh, will will uh, you know bear some fruit. Or even better, uh, you know, the 2021 team. You know, oh, when they go 18 and 0 and win the whole thing, yeah. absolutely greatest yeah. team of all time. Yep, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, speaking of 2021, unfortunately, we're going to end this on a little bit of a downer after all the fun we've been having talking about the schedule and the Grey Cup and, and the 67 Grey Cup team. We got we got to talk about this uh, this whole collusion thing amongst the CFL teams, uh, potentially talking to one another about reducing player salaries to the salary cap floor. Now, obviously, doing that is... If, a t- if an individual team decided to do that, that's, that's well within their rights. I didn't realize there was a cap floor. 
Um, this is one of those things that, again, the CFL, a little bit behind the times on being open and honest with stuff. Yep. I didn't really realize there was a cap floor. Maybe I did, and I just didn't think about it because, quite frankly, I don't care about player salaries all that much. Uh, I want the players to be compensated as well as possible, but at the end of the day, it's like I just want to watch football. And if a guy makes a throw and a catch and tackles and intercept, like I don't care how much money they're making. I just want to watch my team play well, and I want to watch the players play well. But the idea that all nine teams have come together and potentially said, like, hey, this is a way to reduce our costs for 2021 is to, instead of spending to the 5.35 million cap, we're going to spend to the 4.75 million floor. I don't know, man. I, I kind of got a problem with this. It's, uh, according to the PA, player revenue makes up just 27, 25% of, uh, of, like the, uh, of, of overall CFL revenue, 25% goes towards the players. Most leagues, it's around 50%. The, the players are the product. I, I don't go for spreadsheets. I don't go for owners. I don't go – I go to watch players play, and, and I think doing this is, is kind of a disservice to the players if you're if, – if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you're right. We're not going to watch, uh, you know, Bob Young or, you know, the, the executives go on the field. We're going to watch the team and the players on the field. So um, I think we should be paying them as much as humanly possible. Um, you know, you don't want to see anyone – lose money or lose their jobs or whatnot but we're living in the real world and you look around and it's happening everywhere you know you know companies that are making record profits are taking away money from their employees laying off people and all that stuff the cfl is not so it's not making you know record profits like some other companies some other big companies um but you know you'd like to see you'd think uh you know not the players losing money again because they are already underpaid. You don't want to take more away from them, but uh, I guess that's what they're planning on doing. You'd like them to cut, you know, some of maybe some of the executives, some of the, some of the, I don't know who people that are, you know, working for the team, but not on, on the actual team. So uh, to me, it's kind of disappointing because we want to attract the best players we can and, and cutting their salaries is not going to help with that. Well, and how many guys are like? Obviously, there's going to be some belt tightening for a 2021 season, uh, with no revenues coming in in 2020. There was obviously going to be some some cuts made somewhere, but the idea that the first idea is let's cut player salaries to me that's the equivalent of we both work in the grocery industry. So you're you know you're kind of tiptoeing around companies that make record profits. I work for Loblaw, and they made record profits, and the minute they could take away our quote unquote hero pay of two dollars an hour extra, they did it because well. You know, we don't need to pay this anymore. We gave it to you for a little bit, but you know, we got to we got to tighten the belt somehow. But yeah, we made billions of dollars over this pandemic because people were freaking out and buying a ton of groceries. We don't really care. We're going to take away your money anyway. Obviously, people there there was going to be cuts, probably to players' salaries at some point. But the idea that the teams are coming together and saying, "Here's how we're going to do it." I got, we don't know what players make because they don't release salary information. We don't know what teams are cap compliant or how much money they're spending because they don't make these things available to the general public. And for a long time, I was very much, you know what? Because I still, I don't really care how much players make. It's fun, you know, we can play fantasy GM and be like, oh, the Ticats have, you know, $600,000 left in their cap. What can they get for that? And yada, yada, yada. Like we, you know, like people do in the NFL and in other sports. But I mean, quite frankly, I don't, I don't really care all that much. But in a situation like this, the CFL has kind of lost 
the benefit of the doubt here. They, they, they don't want to publicize these things. And I mean, the PA doesn't want to publicize either for their own reasons. But if you're going to do stuff like this, then you got to be open. We have to know. Because what would, imagine the uproar if, again, not saying this is going to happen, but I'll use it as an example. Brandon Banks comes back after winning MOP and he's taking a you know $25,000 pay cut to come back. There, people would be up in arms because it's like, well, he's one of the star players. Why is he... You know what I mean? Like there's, we, we, I think we need to know, not from a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like a nosy perspective. Like I don't want to know what guys make. So it's like, oh, this guy makes this much or this guy. So we can talk about, but if you're going to use slashing salaries as a way to not lose more revenue, I think these things need to be need to be out in the public so that we as fans can honestly kind of push back against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you if it shows that whoever's making this much amount of money and now they're making even less, you know, it's kind of it kind of embarrasses the league and mm. you know you know makes them um, not do this. Hopefully, I mean, there, there's going to be cutbacks, right? There's going to be because they lost all that revenue and they don't really make that much money when they're playing. I mean, Edmonton lost money last season, uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and they all lost money. So, um, the, the thing is with me, it's like all the fans like, Oh, we got to cut back. We got to make the CFL, you know, we got to make money. We got to cut back and make this more profitable. But as soon as they do that, they're like, ah! cowards, you know, you just, you cut back and you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, like you say we have to cut back and as soon as they do there's massive criticism so <laughs> yeah that, i mean that, that i mean that that's a that's a fair that's a fair assessment it's it's one of those things where we have to make the business model better better and then as soon as they try to do that it's <gasps> everyone's up and arms. <gasps> Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree that that sound. yeah that that <laughs> that's a fair. It just it just feels like there are probably other places to yeah. cut. I would agree. I would agree. Other yep. than the other than the product in the field, because you pay guys less. There's going to be guys who decide it's not worth their bodies. Now you're still gonna like as we saw with like the XFL. Those guys don't make a, didn't make a ton of money. Probably didn't make CFL money, quite frankly, for a lot and of guys. There's nothing guys. wrong with that league. They they, nope. they ran perfectly, and and then there was no problems, and everything was perfect with the XFL. And going forward, I'm sure it'll be perfect as well. It's a perfect <laughs> league, and and there's no criticism to have against them or no. anything like that. <laughs> exactly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you're you're always going to find players, but you want to find the best players, and. The, yep. the CFL is not going to get the best players. They're getting the second best players or they're getting players that don't fit the mold of what the NFL is looking for. Like to kind of take this a little bit off topic, how many kickers, I don't know how, how much you followed the LA Rams this year, but they had, you know, they had our guy, Liram Hirolahu in there in the, in the, uh, in training camp battling out for the kicker position, but they, they cut him loose, even though he was statistically from everything that was out there, the best kicker in camp. They cut him loose because they drafted a kicker in the draft. He's now been released. They're on like their third kicker, I think, this season. All because they you have an investment in a guy and you're like, well, we invested a draft pick in this guy, so we have to, he gets more of a right to fail than this guy we found yeah. off the street, who is demonstrably better. It it, it happened. There's there's so many players in the CFL and so many players over the years in the CFL that can play in the NFL. They can. You can't tell me, I know you don't like him, but you cannot tell me right now that Bo Levi Mitchell couldn't start for the for the New York Jets, 
Like you can't you can't tell yeah. me that he couldn't be he's not better than Sam Darnold. You couldn't tell me that he couldn't start for the Jacksonville Jaguars or there's there's not mm-hmm. even the Denver Broncos. Like there's a number of teams, probably five or six teams. Christ, with Jimmy Garoppolo, he could start for my 49ers and probably be the best quarterback on their roster. You know what I mean? Like there are a number of teams that Bo Levi Mitchell could play for, but he wasn't going to be given an opportunity. He go we all heard the story. He went to Minnesota and he's like I'm here to take Kirk Cousins job. Like, well, that's not what we want you here for. If mm-hmm. And that's all it doesn't because, make sense. I mean, it does no. make sense, but it doesn't make yeah. sense from a from a get the best player on the field. But if there's like you said, there's politics involved and mm-hmm. money that's been invested and all that stuff. So uh, you're right. I mean, obviously, we're not saying that CFL players are better than NFL players, no. but there are players in the CFL that are you know could be starting or at least be a backup. I mean, you look at like, and it's funny that. The players, like the quarterbacks especially, that have gotten chances in the NFL, they're not the best quarterbacks in the CFL. I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Trebler. I mean, you can't tell me that Chris Trebler is a better passer than Mike Riley or, or Bo Levi Mitchell or Dane Evans or Jeremiah Mazzoli. Um, it's just funny how sometimes it works out that way. Yeah, it, it's just it's what teams are looking for at a specific time. They The, the Cardinals saw, well, this is what we want out of our – because they have a smaller-sized quarterback who likes to run, so it's like we can tailor – an offense to that, if he gets hurt, we have this guy here. Because you're right, Chris Streffler, when he played the CFL, was a horrendous passer. But it's just he, you know, he was like 6'2", and he would run over guys, and he was like a running back, playing quarterback. You know, very similar to, uh, what's the guy in New Orleans that's starting right now for Drew for Drew Brees? Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, yeah. Yeah, very much like Taysom Hill. Very much like, and I hate to invoke this name, very much like Tim Tebow. A guy who maybe has the intangibles that teams like, oh, he's he's got the grit of a winner or whatever the hell you have, but... As a pat, like, there's a possibility Strevler could be starting for the Cardinals this week, with uh, with Kyler Murray nicked up. That's not going to go. I, you, it's funny because I, I I saw a bunch of tweets about like, oh, the people in Winnipeg. This is what they're saying about Chris Strevler. This is what they told us in Arizona about Chris Strevler. He's like, he's a beauty, and I was like, yeah, he's he's a character, and you yeah. know, being shirtless after they won the Grey Cup, like that was all fun and games, but on the field. He can't throw the football. He is not a good passer. He didn't start. I mean, he did throw two touchdowns against the Tiger Cats in the Grey Cup. But, sure, you know. but he's not, you know, <laughs> yeah, a, bro- know a broke clock is right twice a day, Michael. It's, yes, true. As a, as a sustained starter, even for one, he was not good. Like, there's a reason that when Matt Nichols got hurt, they went on and traded for Zach Caleros last year and didn't mm-hmm. just roll with Chris Strebler. He was and, a complimentary player. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. And 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 guys like that, have we seen with Taysom? Taysom Hill is making like $30 million or six, some, whatever, some ridiculous sum of money over the next two years because he can play on punt coverage and he can come in and catch the ball and he can run and he can throw. He, he's, he's a slash player. Remember remember Cordell Stewart from, you know, 25 or so years ago with Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, he's absolutely. like that. Cordell Stewart came in, played quarterback, was okay, not great, but he – as a, as a complimentary player, like you say, a guy who can come in and do a bunch of different things, that's great. That's what Chris Strebler is. But you can't tell me that there aren't 10 quarterbacks, if not more, currently on CFL rosters that are better quarterbacks than Chris Strebler because Chris Strebler wasn't a starting quarterback in the CFL. So even as bad as the Red Blacks were last year, I think their quarterback play, as their starting quarterback, was probably at worst even with 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 Strevler, if not better you know what I mean so yeah like you said some guys just get the opportunity based on politics some guys don't get the opportunity based on politics but to take it back to what we were kind of talking about you're gonna lose out on some of these talented players if if the league is is hell-bent on cutting salaries but here's the other thing too 
And this yep. is this is kind of what I wanted to, what I wanted to get to. They can agree to this, but what's going to stop Bob Young or the Rough Riders from saying, "Yeah, we agree to this, but you know what? No, we're not going to do it." Bob Young's a billionaire. I'm going to spend money. The Great Cups in Hamilton. I'm spending money. We'll go over the cap if we have to to win the championship here, just like we saw the Riders do in 2013. What's stopping the Riders who are who have more money than any other team in the CFL from going? No, we're good. Even if there's a fine, we'll pay it. But we're going to spend as much as we can to ensure we have the best team on the field. You're going to see teams like who's ever, whatever they decide to do in BC, in Toronto, maybe even Montreal, who might might be like amenable to cutting these salaries and might do that. But that's just going to harm those franchises where you're going to have teams because you, we saw it in the NFL. In the NFL in 2011, they had no salary cap because of the lockout and there's all these weird rules. And Dan Snyder in Washington and Jerry Jones in Dallas that all the teams got together and said, okay, we're, we're going to spend this amount of money and we're not going to go over this. We all agree to it. And those guys said, nah, to hell that we're going to spend anyway. They got fined. They paid the fines, but I mean, neither of them won the Super Bowl. But the point was, you're going to have a, a rogue or two who are going to go, yeah, nah, to hell with this. We're spending whatever we can to win a championship. And I don't have a problem with that either because it's well within the rules to do that. But you're, but now you, now you got this thing where it's like, well, now is it unfair? Is it all this other sorts of stuff? It's to me, it's, it's this, the idea it doesn't of seem like it's going to stick. It, it exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. Because, the, because like the how teams, much how much lower is the floor than the the six hundred thousand per team? Okay, which is, I mean, that's that's six, five or six really good player. You're paying, you know, buck twenty five per player. That's a that's a Rico Murray, that's yeah. a that's a CJ Gable when he was here. You know what I mean? Like that. Those are pretty good players, and those are guys that glue, maybe not superstars. They're not you know you're not Bo. They're not Mike Riley. They're not Brandon Banks. Willie they're really Jefferson. good players, though. But they're, that's a they're, good salary. they're really good players. Like, we looked at the Ticats roster after free agency, and the reason we were so excited about it was you looked at every level and you go, look at those linebackers, look at those DBs, look at that defensive line. Look at, like, there were a couple holes that we discussed, but it was all like they were able to fit these guys in because guys are taking $100,000. And it's like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in the CFL, that's that's a good chunk of change for a guy who's who's not a superstar player. And if you cut five to six of those guys off the roster teams are going to be worse for it yeah and you got you also got to think about like the new football league that's coming out you know the xfl is coming back and um you know if you want to they're, they're going to attract players i mean it's in mm-hmm. the united states they attract they attract are, the cfl the aaf and the xfl attracted cfl players when they're playing the last two years exactly Did, so they have to you know think about that and um, you know, the XFL is pretty attractive. You know, it's run by The Rock now, and he's a big superstar, and everyone loves him. And, and you know he's going to you know, promote the shit out of it. Exactly. And, and you know that the the everyone's going to bow down to it. Like, he's going to be welcome. Every, ESPN, you know, Fox mm-hmm. Sports, wherever. He's, gonna, uh, he's a popular guy, obviously. So, I mean, he's, like, the biggest, one of the biggest actors, uh, action movie stars in the world. So, um and it's in the United States. Players want to stay, you know, no matter how bad it may seem down there with all the stuff that's going on. Players don't want to leave the United States to play football. They don't want to pay two, two taxes, you know. They want to stay close to where they're from. So um, you need to make the CFL as attractive as possible. So you got to think about that, too. And, and you mentioned it earlier, like, I just don't see the teams not – you know, I, I don't see them abiding by the the minimum salary. You know, it's like the CFL isn't a farm league. There's not it's not just for players to go there and to try to get back up to the next level. Like teams want to win. Teams want to make money. This is serious competition, and 
I, you know, you, you have the new owners in, uh, in Montreal. They're probably all horny to to get a winning team to win a Grey Cup, and you know, every every franchise wants to win. So I just don't see every team abiding by the salary cap floor. Yeah, and then once one team goes rogue, another team will, and so on and so forth. Yep, Next thing you know, exactly. it, it was it was a completely meaningless, and we just wasted twenty minutes talking about it. Right. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I gotta, I gotta admit, dude, this this was a lot of fun to do this again. It's, uh, I don't know when we're gonna get a chance to do it uh, another time. Uh, it, I, I, I've missed this. I missed the CFL this year. I missed talking to you, my friend. But this was, uh, this was a lot of fun to kind of knock the rust off one more time and and get back to doing what we used to do once a week, every week for thirty weeks a year. Yeah, I'm hoping everything gets back to normal. We can uh, talk some actual football when uh, June rolls around. You know, we got an earlier start on the season this year. June 10th is the first regular season game for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to watching some Tiger Cats football and uh, having a, a great season of, you know, 10-plus wins and hopefully getting back to the Grey Cup. There's going to be a lot of pressure on this team with the – with the home Grey Cup this year, there always is when uh, you're hosting the the championship game. So, yeah, I, I missed it a lot too. It's been way too long. Four months is, is a long time not to be talking Ticats football. So it's great to be back. Yeah, hopefully we don't go four months again. And well, I mean, free agency will hit in February and all mm-hmm. all that sorts of stuff. So it, it definitely won't be four months till we do it again. But uh, no, definitely not. No, this 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 was a blast, Mike. So uh, that was Podsky Weeby for this week. I'm Josh Smith. Uh, Mike Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.